The White House had already pledged the U.S. would no longer make or buy anti-personal landmines and would strive to join the Global Mine Ban Treaty, which has been accepted by more than 160 countries. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm your host, Renita Malhotra Hora. U.S. equities slumped for a third day in a row. Oil climbed with treasuries amid airstrikes in Syria. Alibaba's Jack Ma has officially become the richest man in China. And the U.S. Treasury makes it harder for companies to go overseas to reduce taxes in a process called inversions. Today, we'll speak with India equity expert Rikesh Mirchandani of Ocean City Capital Advisors. And we'll also talk with the promoters of Delivery.com, a New York headquartered company that seeks to impact Power the neighborhood economy by solving the logistics between remote customers and local restaurants. Joining us for that discussion is Didier Bendasson, who is the president of the Hong Kong unit of Delivery.com, and Roger De Leon of The Little Borough. He'll join us to explain how the service is expanding his customer base. And our guest host this morning is Stuart Altcroft, senior advisor at City Trust. Good morning, Stuart. Renita. Great to have you on the show, your yeah. first Wednesday with me. Thank you. Well, not the first time I've been on with you, of not course. Not the first time, exactly. And uh, looking forward to uh, a lot of great content that we have lined up for today and every yes, other indeed. Wednesday to come. Indeed. Let's first take a look at the top stories of the day. Wall Street shares slumped for a third straight session on fears that the Eurozone economy is continuing to weaken and after U.S. tax rules to fight inversions hit pharmaceutical stocks. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was off 116 points at 17,055. The S&P 500 also dropped more than half a percent to 1,982, while the Nasdaq dropped two-fifths of a percent to 4,508. European stocks also tumbled, with London's FTSE 100 index dropping 1.4% to 6,676. Paris's CAC 40 falling 1.9% to 4,359. And Frankfurt's DAX index sinking 1.6% to 9,595. The Hang Seng Index shed 118 points to 23,837. The U.S. Treasury Department has made it harder for American companies to shift their addresses overseas to reduce tax in a practice called inversions. Nancy McLernan, CEO of the Organization of International Investment, questions whether the aim is to punish companies rather than focusing on reorganizing the U.S. tax code. So my organization represents nearly... 170 U.S. subsidiaries of foreign companies. These are companies headquartered in other countries that have deliberately decided to insource investment and jobs to the U.S. Shire is one of our members, as are several uh, other takeover targets. Um, and But these companies themselves have a really important impact on the U.S. economy, sort of punch above their weight, okay? And uh, even though they represent less than 1% of all U.S. businesses, they employ 5% of the private sector workforce, produce over 6% of GDP, and they pay 16% of U.S. corporate taxes. And our biggest concern is while Treasury and Congress is focused on punishing these deals, 
foreign owned, historic foreign owned companies are going to get caught in the crosshairs. So what does this new tax code mean in terms of U.S. companies staying globally competitive? Inversions are the symptom, right? The problem itself is Washington's failure to try to keep us competitive, globally competitive. So in 1999, the OECD corporate tax rate average was 35%. Today it's 34%. And the U.S. is still, today it's 24%. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. is still at 35%. Over that same period of time, we have globally lost our share of foreign direct investment. Manufacturing in China unexpectedly picked up momentum this month, easing concerns about the country's economic slowdown. Maggie Ho reports. The preliminary reading of the monthly HSBC Purchasing Managers Index rose to 50.5 in September from the final reading of 50.2 in August, slightly above the 50 mark that separates expansions from contraction. But one of the sub-indexes showed that employment in the sector had fallen to its lowest level since February 2009, when China was still suffering the fallout from the global financial crisis. A collapse in exports had thrown tens of millions of workers out of their jobs. A substantial drop in employment levels could raise alarm bells for the central government, which has indicated that it will tolerate slower economic growth below 7.5% for this year, with the proviso that employment is not affected. Apart from the employment index, other data in the manufacturing sector all fared better than a month ago. Stuart, there's been quite a bit of concern among analysts about the outcome of the China manufacturing numbers. Should we be heaving a sigh of relief? The tech tycoon knocked the head of... Hi, Stuart. Sorry, go ahead. Hello, can you hear me now? I, we can hear you now. Oh, good. I could hear myself, but anyway. <laughs> um, yes, uh, there should be a, some, somewhat of a sigh of relief. I don't think, um, I, I think analysts were always expecting something more negative than, in fact, came out, uh, because that's their stock in trade. They want to, they want to create uh, an element of uncertainty, which then gives opportunities in the market for uh, purchase or sale of securities. And that we always have to bear in mind as the underlying for these things. But I, I think we are going to see China resume its uh, manufacturing base very strongly and, and, and uh, as the world begins to restock, as the global economy starts to improve, then things should uh, continue to remain fairly good. But I, don't, I wouldn't expect to see any dramatic rise in, in, in the index either. So in the index in uh China index, Shanghai, we're talking Hang Seng? Well, in, in terms of the stock markets, I think we've seen, um, well, you, you've had a few reports already this morning about how the U.S. is down for three consecutive days. That's down about 2%. It was already up about 8% for the year. So a little bit of a sell-off after hitting some new peaks is not to be unexpected, really. And um, if, if it sells off a little bit more, frankly, that's a great buying opportunity again. Uh, and that's not just for the U.S. West, but in Europe too. Exactly. I think that's a key thing that investors have to bear in mind, not to be sort of shocked into the fact that uh, indices are declining, but uh, it just signals a buying opportunity. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, we, we, we constantly try to remind investors, educate investors, buy at the low point, sell at the high point. Uh, they invariably do the opposite of that. <laughs> but if we can try and do a little bit towards improving that r- record, then we're doing something. That's the mantra to be remembered, yeah, buy quite. at the low point. Okay, we'll be discussing more of that and specifically 
specifically with a view to Indian equities uh, very soon with Rikesh Mirchandani, our next guest. But uh, before that, one more China story. Jack Ma, the chairman of the New York, now New York listed Alibaba Group, has become the richest man on the mainland with a fortune estimated at 25 billion US dollars. That's according to an annual rich list published by Huron. RTHK's Priscilla Ng reports. The tech tycoon knocked the head of Wanda property Wang Jianlin into second place. Tech billionaires accounted for half of the top ten names and includes Tencent founder Pony Ma in fifth place and Baidu CEO Robin Lee one position behind. Making the top ten for the first time were cell phone company Xiaomi co-founder Lei Jin and e-commerce entrepreneur Liu Changdong of JD.com. While six real estate developers occupy the top ten places in 2013, just two made the cut this year, a reflection of a stalling housing market and the ascension of tech tycoons over real estate magnet. There are now a record 354 U.S. dollar billionaires in the mainland, up 13% from last year. The vast majority of the roughly 1,100 people tracked by Huren saw their wealth grow over the past year when Beijing continues its far-reaching corruption crackdown in both the public and private sectors. According to Huren, five members of its rich list are under investigation, two have been imprisoned, two are awaiting sentencing, one has been sentenced to death, while one, the flamboyant Sichuan businessman Li Yan, has disappeared altogether. Mm, more things to look out for in China. Well, the India equity story is one that has been absolutely phenomenal. At the outset of the year, the benchmark Sensex index was at the 21,000 level. It crossed 25,000 in May after Narendra Modi was elected to prime minister. Now it's hovering at just below 27,000. And it's a similar story with India's other benchmark index, the Nifty, which started out at the 6,000 level in January and is now at 8,000. We're joined on the phone by Rikesh Mirchandani from Mumbai. He is the CEO of Ocean City Capital Advisors. Rikesh, what is Prime Minister... Hey, Hi, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Welcome back, I thank should you. say. It's been a while. Yep, thank you. Glad to, give you, glad to be back. <laughs> so, Rikesh, what is Prime Minister Modi doing that is so phenomenal? So, you know, there's a new resolve uh, with, his, with him and his team coming into office. Uh, you know, spirits are up not only nationally and but internationally too he's got a dynamic vision and you know uh, the most important thing that most investors are looking at through equities is that there's a stable government in place for the next five years now uh, there's a strong case for re-rating of indian markets by most uh, you know rating agencies internationally although inflation here seems to be a concern but uh, you know steps taken by him he's completely gone out to sell india into the international markets He's already traveled to various countries. He's been to Japan, got commitments for investments from there. He's just concluded a meeting with uh, the, the Chinese uh, heads of state and the prime minister there. And he's on his way to meet Mr. Obama uh, on the 21st. So, you know, there's, there's a high resolve, and he's, he's uh, basically selling India. This is the hardest it's ever been sold. So, like I said, there's a new resolve, and this is primarily reflecting in the markets. You've seen the equity markets rise by almost 34% up from last September. And there's been a constant amount of flow of money, all right? And uh, this is in spite of the fact that we've seen the word taper coming out of the U.S. markets since the last two years. Absolutely. But, the uh, example is, is it's pretty incredible. And what analysts are saying is that the indices could 
perhaps double, perhaps even triple over the next five years. What do you think about that? Is that true? So, you know, uh, valuations are fair right now. I mean, we are, we are at close to uh, 21 times P multiple. And I think, uh, you know, slowly as time goes by, uh, people would consider this to be expensive. But yeah, I mean, looking at the current uh, economy and the government in place, uh, there could be, you know, a, a, a higher level of uh, PE re-rating also happening there. So yeah, there could be, uh, you know, anything is possible in these markets. But yes, there is a new resolve. And like you rightly said, uh, you could see the markets double from here in the next uh, two to three years. Stuart, do you believe that? Are you as excited about India as everyone else? Yes, I think, um, uh, you know, one of the things that we've seen, of course, there's an outbreak of peace. There's also um, uh, probably a more consistent economic uh, progress now being made. Um, I'd be very interested, uh, Rikesh, in your view as to whether or not the um, visit last week of uh, President Xi Jinping from China and the agreements between India and China, uh, in your view, will also assist In, in developing the economy between in India and also the increased relationship between those two uh, massive countries. Yes, to it. I, you know, I, I agree with your view. Um, uh, there should be a better cooperation with SAC countries and our neighbors, because especially with China, considering that you know uh, we've had issues of uh, you know border problems with China in the past, and also the fact that. With the Chinese market slow, the market slowing down. You need India to, you know, kind of support them at this point of time. And you know, the 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 meeting with uh, President Jinping came at the perfect time because you've seen Chinese the Chinese economy slowing down uh, just in the last few indicators that have come out. Yes. So it's very strategic. Mm. It's very strategic, and I do see. Although uh, the the investment uh, amount that they were discussing has been tapered, right? It's not that high anymore. But uh, that's between four to five billion. But yes, uh, I would see rena- renewed relationships between India and China with this meeting. Very strategic, very important. I saw. I thought one of the most interesting bits, though, of that agreement was that China is planning to help India improve its railway system. And, and given that India has a massive railway system, just like China. But but China's been doing this elsewhere. If that is going to happen, then that would suggest that there's going to be a very serious amount of investment money going in from China to India and and a lot of manufacturing. Very true. Uh, China has been uh, signing record agreements not only in India but in Africa to more from the infrastructure sector of roads and uh, taking that forward. Uh, they've seen the opportunity in the railway sector in India. So yes, I agree that there would be a significant flow of money coming in, but that would be a more long-term and a more ambitious plan. And uh, there has been some uh, correlation to that with the agreement signed with Japan also just before the trip to China. Rikesh, yeah. um, a, a lot of what affects equity markets is local investment, and this is something that in the past, historically in India, has been there sort of, but more or less dismal, uh, sort of gaining ground, gaining. Footing. Things appear to have changed, of course, uh, drastically since Modi has come into power, and he seems to be uh, really focused on financial literacy and improving sort of uh, the viability of the local investment community. Can you tell us about some of the incentives and the initiatives that he has put into place for the local investor? So, um, 
you know, the uh, from a budgetary point of view, uh, there hasn't been a significant change uh, in terms of any SOPs for equity investing. They were already in place prior to his coming to office. But yes, like you rightly said, uh, the government, the finance minister, and the stock market regulator have been focusing on financial literacy because uh, that's an area our savings rate our savings rate in equity is dismally low right and uh, india is basically like we've discussed in the past money flows more to fixed deposits more to gold than it does to equity so to take this econ- uh, economy forward with his vision and uh, with the kind of money that's coming in from abroad there has to be equal participation from the the local uh, local people Yes, there has been a significant inflow of money in the last four months, almost uh, you know four or five billion dollars into Indian equities through the mutual fund route. That continues to grow. That's the strong area where financial literacy is taking place, and I think that's here to actually take a center stage where equity investing is concerned because retail participation directly in the stock markets have have been dismal in the past. It will take time to you know build that up. So there are two uh, initiatives I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about before we wrap up the segment. One is the Jandhan Yojana. What what does that mean? And um, tell us about it. So that's that's basically a, 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 again a record-breaking initiative uh, by the Modi government. They are they want financial inclusion to be in place. Uh, you know, in the next five years, and their their focus is clearly on you know every person who's uh, you know poor or below the poverty line to have a bank account. They're going to provide them insurance up to close to around two thousand uh, dollars, which is a lakh of rupees, uh, while opening that bank account. And they just made it easier yesterday by you know providing two for photographs to open an account like that. So uh, you know, it's uh, the, the thing is the stress rather than uh, focusing just on equities is actually financial inclusion. Financial he inclusion. He wants everyone in this economy to have a bank account, to have a bank card number like a social security number, so you can actually pass through the required aid that you need for the poor through the banking system, which wasn't reaching them earlier. Certainly, this would be the first step, uh, sort of in any progress in any kind of progress that is to take place. Jan Dhan Yojana, Jan meaning people. People done meaning wealth. Uh, the other thing, yep. uh, speaking in terms of international investment, tomorrow on the first day of the Dasera Navratri uh, time frame, which is an auspicious time in India, uh, mm-hmm. President, uh, sorry, Prime Minister Modi is about to launch the Make in India campaign. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Again, a new new historic uh, proposal uh, put forward by the by the new prime minister. He's done this in the past when he was the chief minister of Gujarat, when he used to conduct a vibrant Gujarat, where he used to invite prominent CEOs nationally and internationally from all over to come and visit Gujarat to hard sell Gujarat, Gujarat to them. And uh, you know that state has done very well in terms of investments. Now he's taken a national role and he's kind of repeating the success that he's seen in uh, vibrant Gujarat. So Make in India is a new campaign, the first of its kind. It's a global pitch to over 500 global CEOs, and this happens on Thursday morning. He's, you know, CEOs from all over the world, from Samsung, from Nokia, from uh, Mercedes. You know, uh, you just name the big corporates, they'll be here tomorrow. And he's basically going to uh, hard sell India to them. The, the main uh, stress is basically going to be on the uh, you know ease of doing business uh, in India. You know, there's been a lot of uh, red tapeism and a lot of uh, bureaucracy, which has been cut, and it will continue to be cut to make life very simple for investors seeking to set up base in India. And that's the 
a primary target uh, which he wants to achieve and uh, attract investments to boost investments specifically in the manufacturing sector, you know. Okay, uh, thank you, uh, Rakesh. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, that's lots of uh, great information and good news for business investors who are looking at India. All right. Well, we'll be back soon to discuss deliveries in Hong Kong. That is right after this segment. Building management companies are responsible for implementing mosquito preventive measures in the public areas of buildings. Inspections must be carried out at least weekly. To prevent mosquitoes breeding in stagnant water, dispose of refuse properly. Cover water tanks tightly. Puncture anti-bump tires in car parks and clear drains. Prevent Japanese encephalitis and dengue fever. Act now. U.S.-based online ordering platform Delivery.com has launched in Hong Kong. Connecting local restaurants and hungry customers helps empower the local economy, according to the promoters. The local unit HongKongDelivery.com believes that Hong Kongers are ready to go gourmet. We're joined now for the discussion by Didier Bendasun, who is the president of Delivery.com here in Hong Kong, and Roger de Leon uh, of The Little Borough, who actually uses the service, and also our our producer, Chris Oliver. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Renita. Didier, so this franchise uh, of a U.S., it's a franchise of a U.S. business. Um, why sort of did you choose to go that route rather than, uh, you know, providing the same service here in an independent uh, business format? Well, we are actually providing uh, a very similar service that uh, the service provided in the U.S., um, so Delivery.com uh, has been operating for over 10 years um, all across the U.S. in about 12 cities, uh, the major city being New York. Um, what uh, we've done is to go, uh, we've decided to go international, and Hong Kong was our first venture outside of uh, the U.S. domestic market. Um, Hong Kong has a very interesting um, geography as a city, um, he has a lot of offers in terms of uh, food, um, gourmet or non-gourmet, and uh, there is a, a very high number of um, professional population you know, looking to, um, you know, find a little bit of diversity in their uh, lunch. So, their- you know, the question that comes to mind is, you know, Hong Kong is so small, uh, unlike the U.S. <laughs> um, why? Is it a value for money proposition for me to use a delivery service rather than just going to Little Borough to pick up the food myself and enjoy it there? Well, you can certainly do that. And that's, you know, when the, a restaurant actually opens uh, its business, uh, its intention is to drive traffic in, inside his store. Um, now, uh, what we do is we give the uh, the merchant the restaurant the opportunity to enlarge their um you know base of customer um so because of uh, hong kong geography a lot of restaurants wouldn't be visible otherwise than online um you know um, you 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 know they they could be a, a great um you know source of uh, uh of merchandise nearby and you wouldn't know about it just because you know the the way hong kong is is organized so chris do you, do you agree with that do you think they wouldn't be visible 
Uh, well, I, I'm not 100% sure, but just to paint the picture here for listeners, you actually have scooters that deliver uh, restaurant meals to the home and office, is that what, in addition to other things like wines and other luxury goods? Well, we're actually not a logistic company. Um, we are an e-commerce platform, so we aggregate uh, offers from different merchants across Hong Kong, uh, and we make those merchants visible, uh, if you will, in, um, um, in the Internet, um, and so we we act as an aggregator of businesses. So we're like, if you will, a shopping mall online. So um, you can look at us. Uh, you can look at, at the website, hk.delivery.com. Um, you, you can see that uh, there are a number of restaurants you can um, order from. So we, we should just mention here that your, your career or your former career before uh, dedicating yourself to this company is uh, you're a, a high-flying banker with Cantor Fitzgerald. And Cantor Fitzgerald's uh, 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 sort of e-commerce uh, investment arm, the venture capital arm, is also a, an investor in this uh, concept in, in New York. So w- what's at stake here? This is really more of an e-commerce play, a, an attempt to get into what will be essentially a vast growth market for sales on, online. Yeah, that, that's correct. So, you know, our concept is really to enable local commerce to um, extend their offer to customer they would otherwise, you know, not reach. And so what we do is we mitigate interest between, you know, those merchants and, and customers. Um, so, you know, for example, you know, we, we've actually gone live. Uh, we've opened um, our business in April this year. And um, the first uh, category of customers we... Um, we uh, we actually um, you know um, interested in are the professional um, you know uh, customers. So, so what, what, how big is the market? What do you think you'll be in? Uh, I mean, what are your sales now? Where would they plan to be in a year? Um, well, we're reaching out to hundreds of companies uh, locally, um, and we get so we you know this way um, we we get them to to drive orders onto the merchants that are appearing on the website. Um, so, so are you a business-to-business business, uh, business? Is it delivery business-to-business business or is it um, to end user? So, you know, for example, if I'm looking at your website and say, oh, I want that, uh, as a consumer, am I looking at the wrong place? Well, you're not, actually. Um, so, you know, we've opened very recently, and, and so the product we've built is, is catered for... Um, corporate clients, but, you know, the intention here is to create, um, is to test that product with corporate clients, and, um, you know, our intention is for them to have a good experience online and to take that experience at home eventually, so, you know, our ultimate target is the consumer. Mm. Um, So you're not competing with these hundreds of people carrying these shopping bags full of uh, uh, lunchboxes? All right, no, folks, no. unfortunately, we have to wrap up. It's always great information, but we are out of time. Thank you to Didier Bendasun, and, uh, who is the president of Delivery.com, and Roger de Leon of The Little Borough. A quick look at the numbers before we wrap up for today. Australia's ASX index is uh, down five-tenth of a percent, half a percent, at uh, 5,387. The Nikkei is down four-tenth of a percent at 16,129. And Seoul's Kospi also down three-tenth of a percent to 2,021. The Euro-US conversion rate, one euro gives you 1.2 US dollars, one US dollar gives you 108 Japanese yen, and one Great Britain pound gives you 12 Hong Kong dollars. 
A quick look at the weather forecast for today. It will be sunny during the day with a maximum temperature right around 30 degrees. The relative humidity right now is 84% and the temperature is 27 degrees Celsius. This is Money for Nothing. I am Renita Malhotra-Hora. And now it's time for the news with Samantha Butler. China has for the first time said it's willing to take firm action to cut carbon emissions in order to combat climate change. Vice Premier Zhang Gaoli told the United Nations Summit on Climate Change that the country's emissions would peak as soon as possible and would work to reduce emissions by 45 percent by 2020. The BBC's Matt McGrath reports. China has been using very interesting language in the last couple of months about its whole issue of uh, emissions. I mean, there's a great pressure from the rest of the world to know when China will reach its maximum amount of uh, coal burning, when it will peak its emissions. And today they gave a clue. They said that they would peak their emissions as soon as possible. Now, what does as soon as possible mean? Nobody knows, but it is significant in the in the mood music, speaking just after the President Obama, that the Chinese were able to come up uh, to the plate and say they do intend to do this. All in indicative of the fact that they want to be part of a deal next year and that they do see a limit on their emissions at some point in the future. And that is, you know, uh, signifying that they would be able to do some sort of deal with the Americans. The Pentagon says the US-led airstrikes in Syria